Hello again, my good friends. This is Dan Jones with another quiet talk to share with you. Are you a Christian? I assume my listeners are Christians. Many of you I know well, and I know you follow Jesus. Where does the word Christian come from? For your information, if you looked it up in a Greek lexicon, we normally call this a dictionary, you would find the entry to be Christianos. It is interesting that this term is found only three times in the Bible. Let's take them in order. The first time we see this word is in Acts 11.26. This chapter tells of the aftermath of the introduction of the gospel to the Gentiles when Peter was called to the home of a Roman military officer named Cornelius. As Peter was preaching to the people gathered there, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on the day of Pentecost. This astounded the church, since up until that time, all the followers of Jesus were Jewish. Many had not realized that the message of salvation through the death and resurrection of Christ was for all people. So those of the church who were traveling through the eastern Mediterranean areas began to share the faith with non-Jews as well as Jews. If you remember, just two chapters before we read of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who later became known as Paul. Around this time, the city of Antioch in Syria, north of Israel, became a center for the gospel. The church grew strong there. The leaders in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch to see what was happening and to encourage the believers living in that city. For some reason, Barnabas thought of Saul, who had recently been converted and traveled to the city of Tarsus, which was Saul's hometown, to bring him to Antioch. Saul began to become a leader at this time and was ultimately commissioned as an apostle and a missionary from Antioch. At this point, let me just remind you of what was said by the Lord to Ananias, who was sent to pray for Saul and baptize him. Before Ananias came to the place where Saul was, the Lord spoke to him and said, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Back to chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Notice they didn't call themselves Christians or those belonging to Christ, but the outsiders call them by this name. The next time we read this word is quite a distance time-wise from this introduction of the great apostle Paul, but it involves Paul. After years of spreading the word and planting churches throughout the Mediterranean world, Paul is arrested in Jerusalem. He is finally brought to Rome where he becomes a martyr for Jesus Christ. Before that, He has several hearings in the area around Palestine, and in chapter 26 of Acts is before King Herod Agrippa II. Paul gives a powerful proclamation 
as powerful a proclamation of the gospel message as you could imagine, including in it his own testimony. He tells Agrippa and Festus how he had bitterly persecuted the church himself, but had been dramatically converted by an encounter with Christ himself on the Damascus Road. Festus tells Paul that he's crazy, but Paul directs his words to Herod Agrippa, saying, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. The king then replies, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I think we can understand him to be saying, Paul, I'm a king sitting here in my royal robes. I have it good. I can have anything I want. And you think you, a man standing before me in chains, can talk me into becoming like you? That's nuts. The followers of Jesus were a strange sect to the sophisticated ones like Herod Agrippa, and the term Christian wasn't necessarily a positive thing. The last mention of Christian is from a Christian, Peter. I want to read several verses to you in 1 Peter chapter 4 so you can get the context and see the point I want to make today. He writes, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. I think it's significant that Peter uses this word that started out as sort of an insult in this context. The context is suffering. Peter says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. We are called to identify with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be called a Christian. A Christian is one who belongs to Jesus. So to suffer as a Christian is to suffer because you proclaim that name without fear and without shame. So I ask you again, my friend, are you a Christian? Hopefully now you can see that to be a Christian in the biblical sense is to be one who is not ashamed of Jesus, to be one who claims that name no matter what the consequences. We live in a day when most people want to blend in. They don't want to be thought of as someone who goes against the grain, who is not in line with what they are told is the right way to think and act. But Jesus Christ calls us to go against the grain. He calls us to stand out on account of the fact that we don't fit in. This world as it is now constituted is not our home. As Paul said, our citizenship is is in heaven. We are not part of any earthly kingdom, but our allegiance 
is to the kingdom of God and its sovereign, Jesus Christ. If we are called to be insulted or persecuted for that name, then we don't hang our heads in shame, but we thank God for the blessing of suffering for Christ. When the apostles were beaten for not stopping preaching the word of God in Jerusalem, Luke tells us that they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. If you were given a public beating for preaching the gospel, would you rejoice in this? They did. They remembered what Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are you willing to identify with Christ no matter what? Will you declare his name even if it means rejection? Let me finish with these words of Christ from Mark chapter 8. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Dear, precious Lord Jesus Christ, may we never be ashamed to identify with you, to declare your name, to proclaim our allegiance to Christ, the one who died for us at Calvary. Let us stand, Lord, in this adulterous and sinful generation. Let us stand for the gospel. Let us stand for the truth. Let us stand for Jesus Christ in his precious name we pray. Amen. My dear friends, some of us are trying to stand for the gospel here in the Schenectady, New York area. We have planted the fellowship called Bread of Life Anglican Church, and we are meeting on Sundays at 10 o'clock at uh, the American Legion Hall, which is located at 1809 Union Street in Schenectady. If you're in that area, if you don't have a church home, we would love to meet you, 1809 Union Street, Sunday, 10 a.m. As always, you may reach me by email at father.danjones at outlook.com. May God richly bless you.